Thanks for joining us at our Foothills Church podcast. We exist to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're new here, we'd love to connect with you at foothills.cc. We hope you enjoy this message. Foothills, how are we doing? Good. Hey, is it not a good day to be in the house of God worshiping together? The awesome worship set. And I'm so thankful for technology that allows us to be here, but also those that are with us in Pendleton. So glad y'all are joining. And if you're watching online, we're glad to have you. Hey, do you know anybody who loves to procrastinate? You got any procrastinators in the house? I'm convinced that procrastination, for some people, it's a struggle. For other people, it's a way of life, right? It is a way of life. There's two different types of people. There's those who get the assignment that their papers do and they start working weeks in advance. And then there's those that burn midnight oil the night before it's due. There are those that already have a plan and gifts ready for their anniversary or a birthday that's months out. And there's those that will be reminded that tomorrow's their anniversary when their spouse says, do we have plans tomorrow night? Uh, there, are, there are those who do their taxes in January or February. And then there are those who do them on April 15th as well. There are those who maybe have a trip coming up next week. Their bags are already packed. And then there are those who are packing their bags while they are 20 minutes late to get in their car and leave. Procrastination for some, it's a way of life. And there's different reasons that people choose to procrastinate. Sometimes it might just be that they like the rush of anxiety that comes on you at the end when you're trying to cram. Some people they do it because they get overwhelmed. They, they overextend themselves. They say yes to too many things and they are unable to manage their time. Some procrastinate because they fear failure and some procrastinate because they're perfectionists that are trying to get it absolutely perfect and they wanna make sure. So they get paralyzed by perfectionism. We're gonna start a new series today called Not Yet. And I'm excited about this series because we're gonna open a book of the Bible that maybe some of you have not read. And so whether you've been at church for a long time or if you're new to faith, I think this will be a kind of a starting point for a lot of us. It's a, it's a small book that's found in the Old Testament and it's on one or two pages. It's just two chapters long. It's, it's called Haggai. And what the book of Haggai is, is it is a book where this prophet by the same name, Haggai, shows up at a pivotal time in Israel's history and, and gives four specific messages to God's people, to Israel during this time. And I want to tell you where we are in history. What's going on in Israel is that there is a generation that has returned from their exile. So if you can imagine this, this group of people saw their grandparents' and parents' decision land their nation in a place where the land that God had promised them, the promised land, was overtaken by enemies, and they spent 70 years in exile, and this is the generation that God brought home. He made a way for them to come back home, and when they got home, they were given an assignment to rebuild the temple, which had been in ruins after Israel had been overtaken. So it was kind of like assignment number one was to reestablish God's rule and reign in the nation. But the people had an attitude of procrastination. They had an attitude to say, not yet. They had other priorities that had come into play. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go to Haggai. It's after Psalms and Proverbs. You'll keep going before you get to Matthew. Or it's on the screen as well. On August 29th of the second year of King Darius' reign, 
the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house remains in ruins? Why are you remaining in luxurious houses while my house remains in ruins? The people of Israel, God's people's priorities had taken a selfish turn. They had started to focus on themselves. And so God sends Haggai to say, wait a minute, guys, you've got to get your priorities back in line. You've got to put God first again. And the reason that we have the detail that the author gives us of who is reigning as a leader in the nation and who's a priest is that gives us an idea of when this was, when the timeline was. And where we are in the timeline is that Israel had been back in their nation for 18 years. And we actually get to follow this portion of Israel's history through a few different books in the Bible. We can see Haggai's message, but this is also an account that's happening in the book of Ezra, the book of Nehemiah, and there was another prophet at the same time named Zechariah. So we can kind of pull all of that information to figure out what's going on in Israel. When they first returned home, they were given the assignment to rebuild the temple, and they were given the resources they needed to get started. And that is what Israel did. They got home and they were excited and they were passionate. God had brought them back home. This was the land of, of their ancestors' promised land. They were so excited. And so they got started. They got the whole foundation built and things were moving along. And then they got discouraged. And then they got distracted. And so after year one, they pushed pause and they allowed other things in their life to take priority. And 17 years after that, so it's been 18 years God sends Haggai so that the people can hear, hey guys, what are you doing? Your priorities have gotten out of line. Not yet, not yet are words that can be a slippery slope in our lives. It's, it's the whispers that say tomorrow is a better time to start than today. It's the whispers that cause us to, to reach for the urgent and neglect the important. And the consequences can lead to unfilled potential. It can lead to broken dreams. It can lead to looking back and wishing things had been different. And so God sends Haggai to catch their attention that they're saying not yet so that they can leave that language behind and put God first again in their lives. And Haggai is there to call them to that so that they can experience and see the beauty of what happens when they would say yes and put God first once again. And although this was a book that was written and, and, and distributed over 2,500 years ago to a specific group of people, I believe that the same principles are for us in our lives because I believe we are a people who often can put our priorities out of line and say not yet to the most important things in our lives. So today we're going to start this series by looking at three things God is, is conveying through Haggai that the nation of Israel needs to hear about the dangers of saying not yet, and then we'll continue throughout this series with the rest of what Haggai has to say. So the first danger of saying not yet is this. Saying not yet to God leads to regret. Saying not yet to God leads to regret. We've all got our not yets in our life. It's, it's not limited to faith. It is not limited to faith. 
We've all got areas where we are saying not yet, and we can look back and say, man, I wish I had started sooner. There's those that, that will, will say not yet to getting their physical health in line, whether it's working out or, or focusing on nutrition. And in fact, many, many people will even start the process, just like this, this group did in Israel. They'll start the process. Maybe you got a gym membership, and you got it set up, and now you, every month you're paying for that gym membership. But when are you going to start going? Tomorrow, right? <laughs> not quite yet. In fact, you're, you're the type of customer that a gym absolutely loves if you've got auto payment going on because they are making money off of you and you're not wearing out their equipment. <laughs> it's just coming out every single month, but tomorrow is a better day to get started. Maybe you've got not yet from areas where you wish you had pursued education differently, a degree that you wish you had pursued or, or that you wish you would have taken it more seriously sooner and accomplished that sooner. Maybe there's a not yet with a dream or a passion of yours that you want to pursue, and now you're looking back, and that window of opportunity seems to have passed you by. Maybe there's areas that you've said not yet to making memories with loved ones or, or with your kids or family, and now that window of opportunity is behind you, and you're looking back, feeling regret for those not yet decisions. Maybe it was saying not yet to investing financially sooner that would have set you up for better security. The not yet that are in your life will tell you that will be a reflection of what's important to you. Let me just say that again. The areas in your life that you say not yet, it's a reflection of what's important. It is a reflection of your priorities, your true priorities. See, priorities are not the things we hope to do. They're not even the things that we really believe or feel we should do. Priorities are plain and simple, the story of what we actually do. Priorities are the story of what we actually do. And what we are saying not yet to in our life is showing us what we truly prioritize. You can say that you prioritize nutrition and health, but your actions and the results are going to tell you the truth. You can say that you value family time, that you value making memories with your family, but when the demands of work keep coming up and keep taking that opportunity away from you, those memories that aren't being created are telling you the truth of what is actually going on and actually happening. The not yets are telling you where your priorities actually are. And those not yets in our life, they lead to regrets, but they especially do in our faith journey as well. Jesus actually pulled this principle out when he was having a conversation with, with some folks around a dinner table. You find this story in Luke chapter 14. They're talking about a wedding banquet. And one of the guys at the table says, man, wouldn't it be amazing one day when we are in heaven getting to enjoy a feast at a wedding banquet in heaven. They were just like picturing how perfect it could be. And Jesus used this opportunity to illustrate what it's really going to be like in heaven. He said, here's what a wedding banquet is, is actually going to be like. When everything is prepared and the meal is ready, there's going to be an invitation that goes out. And Jesus ends up describing three people who had a reaction to say, not yet, and rejected the invitation to show up at the banquet. One of them had just invested in real estate. He had just bought new property. And so he said, I got to inspect it. I'm not going to be able to be there. And so he said, not yet. Another one had just invested in his business. He had bought some cattle. And so he needed to go and check it out and make sure all of that was rolling. So the wedding banquet, yeah, it's, 
It's important, but I've got something more urgent. Not yet. Another one had just gotten married. And so he said, no, not yet. And so this story is beautiful because what, what Jesus says is that the master of this banquet ends up going to his servants and saying, all right, here's what I want you to do then. If, if those that I've invited don't want to come, let's invite everybody. Let's go out. He sends them out. He says, I want you to invite the lame. I want you to invite the crippled. I want you to invite people from every hidden corner of the streets and out in the country. Bring them all. Anyone who wants to come, everyone's welcome. This is a beautiful principle where Jesus is showing people the idea that in his kingdom, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your upbringing. It doesn't matter your, your status. It doesn't matter your past. Everyone is welcome. But the sobering part of this illustration that Jesus gives is that everyone's welcome, but not all accept that invitation. And he ends this by saying those that were first invited, that rejected it, the ones that said not yet, he said they will not even have a taste at the table when the banquet goes on. See, there's a danger in saying not yet to God because when we do this, the opportunity could pass us by to miss out on the amazing blessings that God has for our lives. All are welcome. Everyone is welcome, but not everyone accepts that invitation because so many people get crippled by that whisper that says not yet. So this is what Haggai is coming in to kind of warn Israel about. And along with Haggai, there was another prophet I mentioned it a moment ago, Zechariah. Zechariah is the next book of the Bible right after Haggai. And Zechariah actually talked about their parents and grandparents and, and the decisions they made, how this landed the temple in ruins, how this landed them into this situation to illustrate that the not yet, they, they had an effect that caused regret. It'll be on the screens. We're gonna look at Zechariah chapter one. Zechariah says, therefore, or God said to Zechariah, therefore say to the people, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Don't be like your ancestors who would not listen or pay attention when the earlier prophet said to them, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. Turn from your evil ways and stop all your evil practices. Where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead. He was pointing to the regret that the ancestors had from saying not yet, but he was also pointing to the reality that the problems that this generation had faced and now having to come in and rebuild the temple, those problems are a result of not yet that happened before them. And that leads us to point two today. Today's not yet becomes tomorrow's problem. Let me say that again. Today's not yet becomes tomorrow's problem. We are all dealing with problems in our life or in our generation from situations where somebody said not yet a generation before or times that we said not yet at an earlier moment in our life. And when we say not yet and we delay that problem, that problem just gets passed to the future, whether it's passed to a later version of us or whether we pass it to our kids or grandkids. We've all inherited problems from generations before us, whether there was a generation that didn't fight addiction, a generation that maybe didn't deal with financial. Look at, look at, look at, look at the, the U.S. debt clock right now. 
If you were to just go look up our country's debt, you would see a moving clock that's moving really, really fast. And what's happened is generation after generation is saying, not my problem, not yet. And you know what's happening? That problem's just getting passed on to the next generation. Someone's going to have to pay that bill at some point. The not yet of yesterday are today's problems, and the not yet that we're saying today will become tomorrow's problem. Haggai and Zechariah, these prophets, when they're showing up, they're talking to a people who are not unfamiliar with this idea. They are aware that, that there were generations before them that had neglected putting God first, that had neglected God in their life. They were aware that that created problems, but they weren't paying attention to the fact that them saying not yet now was just prolonging those problems and even highlighting and continuing to build greater problems. And so Haggai kind of points to some of the problems that are going on as they're neglecting the temple at this point. Let's pick back up in Haggai 1, verse 5. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. Look at what's happening to you. That's such a key phrase. That is said multiple times by Haggai throughout this small book. He says, look at what's happening to you. Take a look. Take a look. Take an inventory of what's going on. Pay attention. Pay attention. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Look at what is happening to you. This group had neglected putting God first, and it was illustrated, it was illustrated in the condition that the temple was in. See, real quick, what the temple was about in Israel is it was about establishing God's rule and reign as their king and their leader as a nation. But it was also, it, it, was, it was to illustrate his presence. It's where his presence resided among them. So they would go there to worship. They would go there to offer sacrifices, to, to make sure that as a nation, they continued to have, have meaning to the fact that God was first in their life and they were trusting God to be their provider, their protector, and their guide. And Right now, at this point, they've neglected that, but they're turning to all other types of sources in order to feel that sense of protection, in order to have that sense of provision. And Haggai's saying, look at what's happening to you. You're turning to other things and putting them first, but they aren't providing for you what God can provide for you. I asked the guys to throw it up in a list for us here. They're turning to work, hoping that working harder can provide more for them to be secure. But he said, you're harvesting little. There's, there's, the results aren't there. They're, they're turning to food. They're eating, but they're still hungry. They're, they're turning to drink. They're, they're still thirsty. They're putting on clothes, but they're not warm. He said, there seems to be holes in your pockets. It's like the money is all disappearing. And, and I love this because this was written to a group then, but this doesn't look like any of the problems that we go through in our life, is it? When we feel that things are out of whack, we don't think that just like working harder is going to yield better results, do we? Or do we work that much harder trying to manufacture? And, mm, I'm just like muscle this out just a little bit more. I'm going to change jobs. I'm going to change right now because that's going to fix everything. We don't turn to food 
to satisfy or make us feel better. We, we don't turn to any type of beverage to satisfy or make us feel better, do we? We don't turn to what materials are going to bring to our life. And money, n- none of us really feel like we could use any more money. We're all fine. We've got plenty of money there. No, this is, this is what happens when God is not first. When God is not first, what happens is we start clinging for everywhere else. And this is what's happening to Israel. God has brought them home. He's given them an assignment to trust him and put him first. And they're saying not yet. And now Haggai's saying, guys, you're creating problems. You're creating problems. And they're happening now, but they're going to be problems tomorrow. And they're going to be problems that your kids have to inherit. Thanks, guys. We can, we can throw that down. When we say not yet today, we're just punting that problem down to the future. When we say not yet to putting God first today, we're inheriting problems or we're, we're, we're investing problems that we're going to inherit later. We've all seen this principle play out, but we've also seen the opposite effect. We've also seen what happens when a generation says, you know what? I will take on this problem so that the next generation doesn't have to. We've seen it in faith. We've seen it outside of faith. I was always thinking about people that have made a difference in the world for the next generation. I couldn't help but think about Martin Luther King Jr. And I couldn't think about what it took for an individual to say, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm done saying not yet. I think we got his picture. I'm done saying not yet. This is a problem that I'm gonna take on. And he chose to risk everything. He was willing to risk his life. He was willing to risk his safety. He was willing to risk his status in order to say, I have a dream of a world where this isn't going to happen anymore, where we're not going to see racial segregation or inequality, where we're not going to see social injustice take place, where we're going to see a place where people of different backgrounds, different colors, different nationalities can come together and be unified as one. And what he did is he took that problem on so that today, although we have room to grow, although we have room to go, our generation, we get to stand on those shoulders and we have a better starting point with less problems in that way. We have a better starting point because a generation before us said, I will take that problem on. I will face that problem. And it's made a difference. And listen, he, he's, he's a hero in our country. He's done great. That idea, it wasn't original to him. That idea was original from our creator, God, who created, yes, he created a world with all different types of people. And guess, guess where that gets to play out? It's going to be in heaven, but his kingdom come here on earth. The place that unity should be displayed more than anywhere else is right here in the church. It's right here in the church. A picture of different nationalities, different people, different pasts, different upbringings, different economic status should be able to come together as one, equal, as the Bible says, all equal under the reign of King Jesus. All equal under the reign of King Jesus. That's where this should be played out. And so I am grateful. I'm grateful for heroes of past generations that fought some of those battles. And I'm grateful that today, right now, my daughters, they're in kid zone right now. Pendleton, I know you're experiencing this. Our kids 
are in an environment where they are around people that look different than them, that talk different than them, and they are seeing that that is normal. And what that is, is it's a picture of heaven right now, as opposed to the picture of division and disunity that this world wants to try and shove down our throats. Division and disunity that this world wants to create that looks more like hell than like heaven. And so I'm thankful for a church that says, not under our watch, we will be a place where all people can come. We will be a place where all are welcome. My kids are getting to experience that right now. And you know what? We're going to continue to chase that. We're going to continue as a church to say, we're not going to say not yet to problems where there's division and disunity. We're going to say right now to continuing to put Jesus first and everything else, we're all equal under that. We are all equal under that. It's why I'm so grateful for the group right now that is crushing it with getting Foothills Espanol going. We're saying, hey, there's a community. There's a growing number of Hispanics in our community. Guess what, guys? They need Jesus just like I do. They need Jesus just like you do. And so we're not going to say not yet. We're going to use our resources right now. We've got part of our facility over there that is sitting ready and waiting. And so as they continue, next week is actually the first time that they will have spent a month where they're meeting on the first and third Sunday. And guess what? They're going to have a baptism tub over there, y'all. It's going to be a party. That's right. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for Pastor Ramphis and his willingness to come here and, and be a part of that. I'm grateful. I'm grateful even beyond what's happening right here in Oconee County. I'm, I'm grateful that church, you said right now and not yet to expanding and us going into Pendleton and, and at our Pendleton campus right now, they, they're just, they're just, this is our first year into this guys. We've seen 15 people baptized over there this year. Is that not incredible? 15 people. I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be a part of a church. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that says, hey, we also care about what happens outside of these walls. That in the end of this month, we're gonna, we're gonna participate in Love Where You Live at, at all of our campuses. We're gonna participate. We're gonna get outside of the walls and say, hey, there's areas of our community where we can say right now. We can love right now. We can serve right now. We're not gonna say not yet and pass that problem to later. We're gonna take that on. And so I'm excited about Love Where You Live. Saying right now and not, not yet, it allows us to face these problems so that the next generation has a better starting point. And even the reason that we get to do this right now in, in our generation is because, because of those that went before us. Here at Foothills, I can't help. Like when I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but just sit and think with gratitude of the people who came together and said, you know what? There, there is a need in the upstate for a church like what I'm describing to you right now. This church that we're getting to experience where all are welcome, there was a group who, who dreamed about this, who said, God, would you, would you help us? Would you bless it? That said, we will do what it takes. We will give of our time. We will give of our money. We will give of our resources. We will pray. We will serve. We will build. And they started investing in this community in 1998. And I, and I love this story. I get to share it. Every time we do our next lunch, with what, what that is, is if you're new, about every six weeks, we have a lunch called Next, where we tell you a little bit of history of the church, and we tell you a little bit about how you can get connected and, and involved here and what the future holds. But every time that we share this story, and I think back to what God has done over the years and the group that invested, I always share it, and, and it, I love it because it makes Pastor Greg feel really young when I say this, but I was eight years old when Foothill started. <laughs> Yeah, I know. 
Yeah. Eight years old. Eight years old. My wife was five years old when Foothill started. And, and you know what? This is the community that taught me what it looks like to put God first. This is the community that taught me that there's nothing better for my life now or in eternity than following Jesus with my whole heart. I knew Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home, but this was the community that showed me here's what it looks like to go all in and put him first in every area of my life. This is the community where my wife got real and gave her life to Jesus. This is the community where she was baptized. This is the community now today where we get to learn what it looks like to live out a godly marriage, where God is the first in our marriage. And this is the community that because of the investments that were made then, our daughters have breath today. And so our daughters are now in an incredible space where there's a group, and I want to just say thank you to anyone listening to this, whether you're listening right now or if, if you serve in Kids Zone, you've got to listen to this later in the week. I want to say thank you for the investment that you're making in our kids to say right now you will invest in them. Can we show our gratitude to those <laughs> who are pouring into the next generation? If we say not yet to God today, we're just punting that problem to the future, whether it's to ourselves or the next generation. And that's what Haggai's showing up to say. Guys, you're, you've still got problems that are going on. And so he points back to say, look, you're going to these solutions, but you're, you're really only still seeing problems. Let's jump ahead to verse 9. He said, you hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Haggai's kind of bringing their attention to a couple of things here. First off, he's bringing their attention to the, the idea that this doesn't really look or sound like the promised land you heard your ancestors were in, does it? Like the, the promised land that was promised was a land flowing with milk and honey, that there was abundance available. And this is not what they're experiencing in this moment. But then what Haggai tells them from the Lord, what God's saying is, I'm the one who provides all of that. And you're turning elsewhere. You've put other things first to try and achieve the same goal. But I'm the provider of all that. And I can, I can take it away at any point And I can give it at any point. They needed to get back to putting God first. The state of the temple was not about a physical structure. It was about rekindling their relationship with God. It was about rekindling their trust in God. And so they wanted the promise of the promised land, but they didn't want the relationship with the God of the promise. And, and so point three today, what, what God is saying through Haggai of this not yet attitude is that saying not yet to God's process means saying not yet to God's promises. You say that again, saying not yet to God's process means saying not yet to God's promises. Now, I want to pause real quick because I don't want to be misunderstood what, what I'm not saying and what Haggai is not saying is if you choose to put God first, 
God is going to bless you with extra wealth and extra health. This is not a prosperity statement. What this is, is that we have a God of abundance who wants to give us everything that we need, who wants to meet every single need in our lives. That is a promise that he gives, but we do not get to experience his ability to do that if we don't trust him with the process of how he'll do it. If we step outside of that process and try to do things on our own, we're not going to get to see his promise fulfilled in our life. And so Haggai's not only telling them that they've got to go back to the process of putting God first, but he actually illustrates for them that they have what they need in this moment to put God first. Look at Haggai 1.8. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Then I will take pleasure. I love this verse because he's telling them, you have what you need. So many times I think we struggle to put God first in areas of our life because we think we don't have what we need in order to get started. We don't, we don't serve in his kingdom because we don't feel that we have talents or gifts that are adequate enough, or we don't feel we have time to do it. We don't, we don't give financially or tithe because we think, well, I don't really make enough to be able to get started on that process. And we just think, man, I, I don't have what I need, so not yet. And we're waiting. We're waiting on God to give us what we need, but God has already given us what we need. Part of the process of trusting is saying, I'm going to step out and just get started and then trust God that you will fulfill your promise to take care of me after I do this. God does not bless laziness. God, 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 God will bless us when we step out in faith. And faith doesn't look like sitting on a couch and just waiting for God to take care of everything. Faith is actively following God's process. Faith is actively stepping out and illustrating for God, God, this is how I'm going to display that I trust you in this moment. And for Israel, it was, it was getting back to work in the temple so that they could trust that God would continue to be their provider. And so Haggai is letting them know, guys, everything you need, it's up in the hills right now. Everything you need to trust God's process is there for you. See, when God established his relationship with mankind, he gave mankind an assignment to care for his things. It's part of like the reign over this earth that, that he's given mankind. He's given us a responsibility to care for his things. And the promise that he gives is that if, we, if as we step out and do that, we can trust that he will care for us in all things. He, he takes care of the caring for us part. We don't have to do that part on our own. We just step out and we care for his things. We trust that he will care for us in all things. And Jesus, Jesus brought that point home in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 31 through 33, this is some of my favorite verses. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Put it first. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. God made caring for you his priority. And right now, the areas that you are saying not yet, they will tell you if God is your priority. They will tell you what is important to you. So I want to ask you today, where are you saying not yet to God in your life right now? Where is it in your life that God has called you to a truth 
that God has shown you a truth. Maybe it was from a message here. Maybe it was something you read in the Bible. Maybe it's a song that you've heard that's filled with scripture. Where is it that God's been tugging on your heart to put him first again and you've been saying not yet? Is there an area in your family where you desire God to be first, but there's areas that you're just saying not yet? Is it, in, is it in your workplace? Is there an area where you've been, you've been feeling God calling you to put him first in an area in your workplace, but you've kind of been saying, not yet? Is it in your finances? You want to trust God that he's got everything you need, but, but you continue to say not yet because there's things that you're building on your own that you want to work on on your own. Remember what Haggai said, you're living in luxurious houses while my house remains in ruins. Where are you saying not yet to God? Is there a relationship that's broken? Is there a conversation that you know you should have that you haven't been having? Is there forgiveness that you've been withholding? That you've been saying not yet? I'm gonna choose to not forgive that person yet. Where is it in your life that you are putting off putting God first? Is there gifts and talents that God's given you to serve and be a part of helping other people find and follow Jesus, helping build his church in our generation, but you've been saying not yet. Maybe, maybe it's small groups. Pastor Joseph did an incredible job last week talking about the power, yeah, talking about the power of, power of small groups. Maybe that's an area in your life that you know you probably should get in a group, but you've just been saying not yet for other reasons. Maybe God is, is inviting you to, to, to stop and take inventory. To, to Remember what he said? Look at what's happening to you. It's, it's not that you don't have time. It's not that you don't have resources. It's that they're going into your luxurious houses. Where is it that all of those areas are taking up the time for you to put God first in your life? Where is it that you're saying not yet? Next week, we get to celebrate baptism at all of our services here in Seneca, at Espanol, and Pendleton. This is a moment. This is a moment where many people will take a step to say right now, and it may be that at some point in your life you've, you have said yes to Jesus, but you've not taken that next step to go public with it, to tell everyone. That's step one. After you follow Jesus, Jesus will outline the next step. Go public. Be baptized. It's a way that we share our testimony. If, if, if any of you have been saying not yet to God in this area in your life, I would encourage you, take that step. All you're going to get here is a, is a massive celebration. You're going to get a lot of people that support you because we know what it looks like when we put God first, all of the blessings that come along. I, I would not want you to miss out on that because of whatever it is that's causing you to procrastinate that or put that off or say, not yet. So in a moment, we're going to pray. And I, I believe we've all got these not yets in our life. I believe we do. We're going to pray for that at all of our campuses um, but, but first, I want to pass it over to Pastor Joseph and Pendleton. Can we show them our love? Before we pray, the most important not yet that you can cross off your list and, and move past is, is the decision to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. A lot of what we've talked about, about putting God first, this wasn't an issue of God's people, like whether or not they were his people or not. This was that they weren't illustrating it with their lifestyle. They didn't look like his people. They weren't being set apart the way he had designed them to be. And so for a lot of us here, as, as we're going through this conversation, this series, 
after we follow Jesus, he desires that we learn to, to become like him. And, and so we start following him. And when we do this, when we put him first. And so I believe God is, is, is going to call us to some things in our life to put him first again so that we can experience the fullness of his promises. But what, what it takes to become a part of God's family is not anything that you or I could do on our own strength. It is completely on our reliance on Jesus Christ to do what we couldn't. When he took our punishment after living a perfect life, he took the, the punishment of a sinner in your place on the cross to die for your sins. And the only way to receive eternal life, the only way to, to, to be a part of that wedding banquet that, that Jesus illustrated in Luke 14 is to say, right now, I want to receive you, Jesus. We are not guaranteed tomorrow. There's no more dangerous place in your life that you could say, not yet, than in the, in the area of eternity. Tomorrow is not the best time for your salvation. Today is the best time for you to say yes to Jesus. And if he's tugging on your heart today, I would encourage you as we pray, say yes to Jesus. For, for the nation of Israel, it wasn't about the physical structure. It was about a relationship with their God. In a moment, I'm gonna pray a prayer. And I'm gonna invite you, if you wanna say yes to Jesus, it's not gonna be about the structure of the prayer. It's about your heart. It's about you saying that you trust a God who sent his son to die for you. So would you pray with me, church? If you're here and you wanna receive Jesus as your savior, you can pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I trust you. And where I'm struggling to trust you, help me to trust you more. Right now, I am admitting that I'm a sinner and that I'm broken. And I've been saying not yet for too long. And so today is the day I say right now, Jesus, I believe that you came here. I believe that you died for me. And I believe God raised you from the dead. And so today I ask you to save me from my sins and I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. Jesus, I'm gonna do the best of my ability to put you first and I'm going I'm going to ask you to show me every step of the way where it might be that I'm saying not yet to you so that I can put you first. Thank you for my salvation. It's in your name I pray.